Hello, it's Thursday. <laughs> we keep we're going in. Welcome once again to the best movie podcast ever, the only movie podcast that offers hyperbole-free discussion and hyperbole-free and objective discussion. In fact, I forgot that bit of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the podcaster with no name, Conrad, and with me as always, frankly, my dear, he does not give a damn. It's Anthony James. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. It's a professional start here on the best movie podcast ever. I can't even remember if I said that in the intro. That's how bad I am at this. Yeah. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm doing well. That was my favourite intro. Even though you used the Step Brothers one for me last week, I think that was my favourite one you've done so far, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, Anthony. I'm run- the, 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 the well is dry on, on these. Like, I'm scraping the barrel. Yeah, we've, all, we've already went through every quote from a film ever. Yeah. There can't be that many more left, surely. No, 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 it's, it's not. Shawshank Redemption. I couldn't. I couldn't even tell you a line from Shawshank Redemption, to be honest. I, I, I don't like that movie as much as a lot oh. of people seem to. I, I um, really like it actually, but I haven't seen it in a long time. I, I will say this for Shawshank Redemption. Like, I saw that movie well after everyone said they loved it, and I did come to that movie kind of being like, all right, let's see what all the fucking fuss is about here. Um, and therefore, I didn't dislike it, but I was a bit like. Uh, whatever as a result oh really oh i really liked it um red was here uh you know that they want the new or whatever they call it um that's a, that's for something you could say uh but yeah no i really like the we're straight into the movie talk here conrad uh yeah we we're, we're, we're on brand here at the best movie podcast ever yeah. and that's the kind of that's the kind of critical analysis you can expect actually you know what podcast. here's a hot take for you right and then we'll then we'll do a little bit more of the little uh rambly intro hot yeah. take you didn't like uh, Social Redemption as much as everyone else because you'd already seen other films where Morgan Freeman was doing his Shawshank Redemption narrator voice. Yeah, that's probably... I, I was pretty much burned out. That was the Morgan OG. Freeman as the, as, the, as the wise old character um, by the time I got around to seeing that. He was in... Was he in Bruce Almighty? Was he God in that? He was God in that. Yeah, that's that's that was probably my first introduction to Morgan Freeman playing that kind of character. So you know, you know, as much as as wise as his character is in the Shawshank Redemption, he's not God. Well, you know, in the book, he was actually an Irishman with red hair. That's why he's called Red. A little bit of trivia for you. Oh, okay, nice. Like um, like Hulk Hogan's original originally planned uh, character. He he was supposed to be like Bruno Sammartino appealed to the Italians in New York. Hulk Hogan was initially supposed to be an Irishman with red hair to appeal to the Irish in New York. What uh, was his name going to be? Hulk Hogan. He was still going to be Hulk Hogan. Yeah, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, Hulk Hogan. Um, <laughs> running wild on you. Um, I apologise to all of our Irish listeners out there for my for my failed attempt at an Irish accent. Yeah, and and to Anthony. (laughs) We're doing a movie diary this week. We're doing a movie diary. We're talking about all the movies that we have seen since the last time we did one of these. Uh, I think we'll probably also, in fact, I'm not going to say probably, we're definitely going to be doing one of these the week after next. We might have a themed episode after that. I haven't decided yet. Um, if you are new to the podcast, thank you for joining us. Uh, please subscribe to us on YouTube, on the Culture Cave, or on uh, podcasting apps. We're the best movie podcast ever on there. Give the video a like. Sub- I've already said subscribe. Share the video with your friends. Get chatting in the comments. Um, but apart from that, let's talk about some movies. Let's do it. Right, I'm going first this week, and there's nothing you can do about it, because I'm the host, and I get to say what we're doing. Um, So we're going straight in. Now, Anthony, this first film that I'm going to talk about this week, Mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear 
not so much what well, i mean I'm, i am interested to hear what you have to say about the movie but also about like the kind of pressure that i feel sometimes when i watch a movie like this okay uh, the movie i'm talking about here is uh, federico fellini's eight and a half which i watched on amazon prime um that's was made in 1963 i'd never watched any fellini before to be honest my experience with italian cinema particularly that kind of neorealism stuff which i didn't even really know about as a as a school of cinema before i watched this movie is pretty limited and i often find when i watch a movie like this where it has that kind of weight of reputation behind it i guess kind of similar to the shawshank redemption uh, to a certain yeah. extent it's really hard for me to kind of arrive at a conclusion about it because particularly with something like this, where it's, it's quite surrealist in, in places. It's sort of, um, it's basically this movie about the, this, uh, it's a, it's a movie about the making of itself It's incredibly meta. Um, and it, it's essentially this director who's made one successful film and he's struggling to make his next one um, played by uh, Marcello Mastroianni, um, who is brilliant in it. Um, nice pronunciation. And- Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to. I didn't want to stop and toot my own horn, but I appreciate the fact that you that you pulled me up on it. I mean, last week um, with Django, I was worried about the pronunciation of spaghetti. So you've yeah. done well there. Mastroianni. Um, <laughs> I've ruined it now. But uh, yeah, so it, 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 like Mastroianni's uh, Guido is the name of the character. Is essentially a stand-in for Fellini in this, and he, he's basically this director who is struggling to make his next film, and he's being hounded by producers and writers and actors who want to know what's going on with his next movie, and he's drifting in and out of um, his real life and these fantasies he has about his former lovers and and and, mm-hmm. and past events, and it's brilliantly edited and cut together in this way where. Um, he he will slip into a dream but you will see part of the dream in the real world before he gets there so in one scene he's in bed with his mistress and he sees his mother in the room just doing this and then it cuts to a scene where his mother is at a cemetery wiping a window clean um which and that's not to say that doesn't make sense but going back to what i was talking about previously it's when you watch a movie with such a heavy reputation as as this and and most of fellini's work and it has those kind of surrealist elements I find it quite difficult to, I, I don't know, like critically analyze it almost. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. Um, yeah, but it, I know what you mean. It, I mean, it, 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 like to get out ahead of it, I thought it was very good. It's um, it's beautifully shot. As I say, the 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 central performance is brilliant. There are there are some um, there's some amazing editing and that the way the the camera moves with a with a vibrancy you don't normally see in um or that I haven't seen before in a lot of movies from the sixties, but it's. Mm-hmm. I think I need some distance from this movie to really get a sense of how I felt about it. Yeah, to be honest with you, I actually felt the same kind of thing. It's, not, it's maybe not as surreal, but it is quite surreal. I didn't see The Shining until quite late. And, and okay. to be honest with you, it felt similar. Like these classic films, obviously not as old as the 60s, but these classic films um, that, that that have such sort of reverence and also are put are put aside as being genius... <laughs> Yeah. When you watch them for the first time, it's like you've already been told it's genius, so you have to believe that about it, and therefore yeah. you can't really, yeah, you can't really analyze it properly. Same with Psycho for me, actually. The same, mm. same with that. Um, I, I think as well, like Psycho is a great example of one where I, I, it makes me feel it's probably a good thing because it makes me realize how little I know about cinema when I watch something, and it's like I, I need to now go and look at what else this influenced to understand yeah. how important it was at the time and i think eight and a half is a, is a bit like that as well um and yeah Psy- psycho is a great example where it's sort of like you that you if you watch that movie now i still think psycho is a fantastic movie mm. um just watch 
like out, out of context in in the modern day but, yeah. but that's a, a movie that is enriched by an understanding of what came after it and what had come before it i think yeah i know exactly um it's same exact same thing pretty much for me with uh halloween um yeah. the film halloween like a real slasher you know i, I didn't I, when I watched it for the first time like three months ago and I, I was literally like, this is slow, this is, you know, and then I talked to a friend of mine uh, and he's like, no, 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 it's because it's like, it influenced this, this and this. That was like the first one that they did. It might, it wasn't you, Connor, was it? Maybe it was you, uh, I, I, I mean, I am on record as loving John Carpenter as our, as our long-time listeners. It must have been you though. So I think I, I did, I, I do remember on, it was it might have been on the f- it might have been on the first uh, first one of these. Did we talk um, about it a lot of air? Did we? Oh, we might have talked is. about it on the top ten movies of all time. Um, but uh, yeah, like talking about what what influenced it. But it, yeah, um, Halloween is another one of those ones where it's. I, I still think that's a brilliant movie, but I'm also a big fan of horror and a big fan of John Carpenter. So I'm coming in. It's almost impossible for me to come into that without any context, to be honest. But you don't like Children of the Corn, so. Oh my! That movie sucks so badly. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Okay, so you ready for my first one? Uh, yes, yeah, hit me. Okay, uh, I will say before we go move on, I I like that I have actually never seen uh, eight and a half. I have heard of it. Um, it's one of those ones that I was always daunted by, but now that you've sort of took the plunge, maybe I will too. Well, I I actually went and they're all on Prime, but I went and bought like the Blu-ray collection, so I've got eight and a half uh, La Dolce Vita and uh, Eva Tellini, which are like the kind of uh, Fellini. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. He has loads of great movies, but I'm re- I'm ready to dive into the rest of Fellini. Uh, I really enjoyed my first uh, my first foray into it, but I feel like I, th- I feel like there's going to be some fans of like Italian movies in the 50s and 60s who are like, why are you talking more about him? And the fact is, I don't feel qualified to, but I did very much enjoy this movie. Fair enough, yeah. And there is uh, in the town that I teach in, there is a, um, a, a pizza shop called La Dolce Vita. So, oh, lovely, you know, there is that. Also, moving on. So, okay, my first. I'm going back in my head. What I've got a lot of varied films this week, Conrad. What flavour do you want first? Oh, what are the options? Well, we've got a comedy. We've okay. got uh, more of a romance, uh, drama, family type film. We've okay. got a crazy sci-fi in space. We've got um, a we've got a um, a low budget independent character study. We we've got a another low budget, slightly independent really good dra- dramatic film what are you let's, looking for let's go let's go for the sci-fi first oh let's jump, excellent. jump to sci-fi okay so this week i finally got around to and i'm so happy i did because my wife has been begging me to do it for so long and i don't even know why i was putting up so much resistance finally got around to watching valerian and the city of a thousand planets which is luc besson mm. and it's based on a french comic book uh valerian and loreline is, is this um, the one where channing tatum plays a dog man no, you're mixing that up with the Wachowski's uh, film, which is called Jupiter Ascending. This Jupiter, is yeah, that's wrong. This is Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. This is basically now, even though this is based on this is based on comic books from like 50 years ago. Um, this is Luc Besson. Basically, Luc Besson said that this was his dream project. This is what he always wanted to make. And in fact, there's design elements of the Fifth Element that are that he based on the world of this comic book. Oh, okay, right? awesome. So basically, it's 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 a high concept um, fantasy sci-fi um, with multiple alien races, multiple uh, planets, multiple space stations, that sort of thing. So it's a bit, it's a bit like a Star Wars, Star Trek, but it's its own thing, you know. So and I, in my opinion, this type, this genre 
and I was watching saying this to my wife, this type of genre uh, where it's you know very much Star Warsy genre. There's too like it's hardly any come out that are not members of, of one or two franchises. The fact yeah. that we're getting a new story with a new world, it's like we it's like we're getting these days we're getting more and more fantasy worlds. Well, I'd love to see more fantasy sci-fi worlds. You know what I mean? Mm. Anyway, it follows the story of Valerion and Lorelai, and Valerion is a major. Um, a major, I think Loreline is a sergeant, and they basically go around and do the bidding of the Navy and take down the bad guys. And I think this, the comic books are based on these two characters, and they go around just on loads of different adventures. Uh, this follows one particular adventure where it's called The City of a Thousand Planets because basically the, the opening of the film starts with a montage of, of building the International Space Station. And then as okay. more, more countries get into space it's like african countries asian countries they all they all come in and the space station gets really big but then aliens start coming and like there's a lot oh, of alien cult cultures and they join on as well and eventually the space station gets far too big that they have to actually let it go from earth's gravity and okay. they, they just push it out into, into all, the universe. Yeah. all right yeah i'm not going to question the physics of that that seems difficult to achieve to be honest well i think they well it's so far in the future like you know like they they, they sent out little missiles that like jumped okay. onto it and then pushed yeah, just it stick, like stick a stick a fuck off rocket on one side of it and be like see you <laughs> later iss that's what they did you know <laughs> uh so so basically it's got sent out that's that's called alpha it's called the city of a thousand planets okay. and um it's really, really, it's a ripping yarn, is what I'd say. It's a ripping yeah. yarn. It's really fun. It's over designed to the teeth. It's. I mean, I, that's what you're getting with Luke Besson, uh, which I, Luke... I, I say with love because uh, Luke Besson's one of those uh, those directors who I, I don't know why I've not seen more, including this, why I've not seen more of his work because I love Fifth Element. I believe he, I think he directed Alien Resurrection as well, which I, I, I is one of my guilty pleasures. He wrote but, yeah. Taken. Did he write Taken? I didn't know he, that. He wrote Taken. He did Lucy, which I re reviewed a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, and he did Leon the Professional. Yeah, Luc Besson Leon. is amazing. Like, I would say, if you like The Fifth Element, you'll like this. Yeah, um, it's, that sounds in like my, it. Yeah, it's, it's very like The Fifth Element in its world and its creation. and It's almost like he finally got to make all the different aliens and stuff that he wanted to. So basically, it follows the story of Valerion and Loreline. They uh, discover that there is sort of... A race of people from a planet called Mule. The race of the people are called Pearls, and they have went extinct. Basically, all for about twenty of them. And what happens actually is that you find out that there might be something going on in terms of the the uh, the files may have been erased from the system for some reason or another. And their whole okay. thing is like trying to figure out what's going on. This mysterious planet that was sort of on the edge of a battle, which led to its apocalypse. And it's just a really good rip and yarn with a load of different characters. Um, I wanted to mention uh, that um, there's a few things. The Fifth Element is definitely a big, uh, big sort of sister or brother to this film. Would, and I could see that Luc Besson was really, really uh, inspired by this this comic book series when making The Fifth Element. Um, however, it's of a different time than Fifth Element. In my opinion, it's much more fast paced. It's mm. more. It's more. I don't know how you would say it. it's more. It's more of like an Fifth Element's an action film. This is more yeah. of a, like a up and go get them action <laughs> film, right? Yeah. This is like really like this. This goes at a breakneck pace. That's all I'll say. Okay. But uh, the one thing I want to say was that the leading actor in it, who plays Valerion, Valerian, is a guy called Dane Dehan. Have you heard of Dane Dehan? Um, a name doesn't ring a bell. Let me look. Let me look them up. Right. So Dane Dehan, if you've seen the film Chronicle. Um, which was a film uh, written by Max Landis yeah, back yeah, 10 years ago. 
Yeah. Uh, he was also in Lawless. He played Cricket, the boy with the... the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, I... he, and he played Harry Osborn and the Green Goblin in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Anyway, this fella here is plays Valerian. Okay. I like I like this actor, right? There's two this but there's two reasons why I don't I didn't like him in this role. The first is I, I couldn't get the idea that he was a, he was a young Leonardo DiCaprio out of my mind, right? He he just seems like <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio in uh What's Eating Gilbert Grape. That's the joke, that's the jokey reason, right? The yeah. second real reason is because um he's <sighs> He's not. He didn't. He didn't sell to me that he was leading man. Uh, now, having said that, I like a bold choice of your lead. I like a bold choice, um, and I'm not going to sit here and say it should have been someone like Channing Tatum. No, I don't believe it should have. Yeah. At the end of the day, this is a French-made film. You want it to be different. You want it to have a different feel. I just wasn't impressed by him in this role. Um, I think that he he almost felt like he was a child. Like his voice, he was putting on a man's voice. Like he's very yeah. much like this. So we got to do this, and he sounded like he was putting on what he was. You know, he didn't fit the role to me. Having said that, on the other side of the coin, Cara Delevingne, who plays the uh, who plays Lorelai, his partner, absolutely carried this film. She yeah. was. Oh, I absolutely loved her. I, I've I've only ever seen her in Suicide Squad before, which I was not impressed with her in because uh, mm. I didn't was impressed with that film in general, to be honest with you. But she was so cool in this film. She had so much charisma. She just stole the show in my opinion um and yeah that's i think e- or Ema, my wife told me you have to mention rihanna so i'll say rihanna's in it too i'm not going to give anything away about rihanna's character because every part of it is just great um but you got to see it uh just come on looking at looking at rihanna's um character on the front cover she looks like she plays a kind of uh mole like a sort of 20s style uh I, i'll say proper. that I, if we're talking about the fifth element Rihanna's character sort of embodies the role of the, not in every respect. So don't go down this rabbit hole too much. But say Lulu multipass. No, 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 no. There's no, there's no actually, there's no Lulu Dallas multipass in this. <laughs> she sort of provides the blue opera singing alien. Uh, oh, okay, the one role. that, the one that terrifies you. The one that terrifies me. Although Rihanna doesn't terrify me. She, okay. she occupies that role. Um, in okay. this film. Um, but yeah, it's come on. If you love different characters, like creatures, if you, if you love if you love rip and yarn stories, if you love fantasy sci-fi films, mm-hmm. this is not the best one in the world. It's not going to be a ten out of ten for you, but it is enjoyable and it's worth a watch. Um, it's not a perfect film by any means, but it made me think I should have watched it. It came out in two thousand seventeen, and I hadn't seen it till now, and I really regret not seeing it till now. Yeah, no, I, I I kind of just ignored it to be honest, d- despite liking Luke Besson and and you know sci-fi as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe I'll maybe I'll revisit it now because that's that's a, that's a, a glowing recommendation. Well, it is, it is a glowing recommendation, but it's also like you know me, you know Ema, the type of people we are. We're very yeah. much creature costume people. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I mean Luke Besson's. Way the way that he realizes his worlds in the in the sci-fi movies he's made has always been exceptional. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, like it's not just him. I'm sure he's hiring people in his production design that that can that can help him realize his vision. But it, it's if there is you know 10 percent of the of this style of um, of Fifth Element's production design in this, then it will still be a fantastic movie to look at. So I'll, I'll definitely definitely check that out. Awesome. Um, cool. Okay. Right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go next, and I'm gonna go for something. It's not really. I guess it's kind of sci-fi. One. One might. One might be able to make the case that it's sci-fi. 
this is 2019's Escape Room was a movie I watched mm. this week. Um, the only actors I really recognised in it were Deborah Ann Vol, Vol, Wall, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, who was in Daredevil, and Tyler Labine, who was in uh, T- Tucker and Dale versus Evil. He's he's in loads of different mm. stuff. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty unashamedly an attempt at recreating like a multi-installment horror franchise in the vein of Saw. And it's not altogether terrible, uh, though very little about it stands out, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it did incredibly well financially, though, so I, I expect that we're going to see another one of these. In fact, I think production has already begun on the sequel um, and the, the ending of this movie, not to give anything away, but it pretty unashamedly sets up that there's going to be a sequel as well. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not bad. I think the, the, the central premise is basically the same as Saw, a bunch of people get put into like they join this kind of weird uh, escape room and right. then it turns out that all of them have dark secrets which come to the surface as they attempt to expose uh, expose escape uh, increasingly maniacal and and harebrained traps that they end up offing a lot of them um it's not have you ever seen the movie cube no it's like 99 i have heard of it though yes so it's, it reminded me a bit of Cube, but I guess this is me exposing my personal tastes, but when you're making a movie where the kind of driving force of the movie is seeing what the next crazy trap is that they find themselves in and and, and, and experiencing the tension of them trying to escape that, you need to have some good kills in there. You've got to have some good gore to, to really sell the, the, the lethality of, of, your, of your, your traps in your escape yeah. room. And there isn't really any of that in this. It feels like it's really, really towing that... Um, that I guess it's NC-17 in America, it'd be a 15 in the UK, that that line where they can market it to teenagers, basically. Yeah. And evidently by the financials, they made the right choice because, as I say, this made a lot of money um, and they will almost certainly make another one. I, I would have liked a bit more of that. But I mean, ultimately, it's a vaguely below average first installment in what will definitely definitely be at least a two-part um, franchise. And it's it's a it's a promising enough opening from uh, the director's a guy called Adam Robitel, who I've, I've not seen anything from. But mm-hmm. it, it's promising enough that it makes me cautiously optimistic for the next one. But if you're in the mood for a kind of sore-ish thing, you could do worse than watching Escape Room. I would imagine, though, that th- this this first installment of this series isn't starting off with quite a, a critical success as Saw did. Like, the first no. Saw film is, you know, objectively good. Yeah, the first um, Saw film is is actually, a, like, a good movie. I, I, I yeah. very much enjoy the first Saw and, and fell off pretty soon after that. Yeah. Whereas this is this is more kind of like a... It's almost like a... I, I don't want to say it's a proof of concept because the concept was already proved back in 2003 or whenever Saw came out. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it feels like they're kind of testing the water to see, like... Are audiences ready for another another saw style thing? And I guess I guess they are. But yeah, it's it, it doesn't compare to the to the first saw at all in terms of in terms of quality. Yeah, like only I I, I don't know anything about it. I I've heard of it. I knew it was a sorry thing. Um, even I remember on the adverts there was something to do with even a face similar to Saw. Like Saw has the little puppet. It seems like they actually are going for a similar thing with this as oh, well. Yeah. There's like very much like faces talking, being like let's play a game and like yeah, and I, I yeah. think they, i think the last line of the movie is literally let's play again which is kind of like guys you can't just change one word in that sentence <laughs> it still sounds like the, the saw one and get away with that like their their lawyers are going to be on the phone and be like ah oh, excuse me can you like change your script a little to not just steal from us 
I would actually be interested to see if the original director of Saw, James Wan, uh, was actually a producer of this because he does produce a lot of horror. Um, it, could, it could easily be. I, I wouldn't be. I didn't actually check. I should have, but it wouldn't surprise me that it was going from the same production company because it feels very much like it's kind of been factory produced to a certain extent. All right. Okay. So before moving on, I'll make one more comment. Go on. I'm a teacher of secondary school pupils. This is a 15. If I if this was any good, would I not have heard them talking about it? Like this is like that's the market who would be going to see something like this at Halloween or whatever. I think it came yeah. out in February, but still, you know what I mean. Like they would come in saying, <laughs> "Oh my god, sir, I saw this new scary film." But yeah. no, that they, they didn't. They weren't talking about it at all. Passed them by. Passed them by. But I mean, well, some, some people went to see it because it made a lot of money. But uh, exactly, yeah, yeah. It, it's I, I can't I can't I don't think that speaks to its quality. Okay, no problem. My next one. Uh, I'm gonna shift the tone. Actually, I'm not gonna shift the tone yet. I'm not going to okay. shift the tone yet because I've got a few very, very serious ones in a minute. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go to 2016's Bad Mums. Okay. Have you seen it? No, this is the, this is the one with Mia Kunis in it, I think, isn't it? It's... Yeah, so it's actually got a star-studded lineup. Um, yeah. Mila Kunis, Christian Bell, Christina Applegate, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Catherine Hahn, who is, like, who is an actress, who is a character actress who we don't really... She's not really given top billing in many things, but you might rec- uh, you might re- remember her as the uh, sister-in-law from Step Brothers. Yeah, uh, she's uh, she's actually I, I'm I'm w- like very much in a Catherine Hahn kick at the moment because I've been watching WandaVision on uh, on Disney Plus. Oh, is she, she in play- that? Yeah, she plays a neighbor in that. So yeah, she's great. She's always really funny. Um, yeah. So she is funny. Like I will say, um, when I first started watching this, it, I. I I have to admit, I don't like that I'm bringing this film here because I did watch it in two halves. So there is there is that proviso to this. Okay, oh my God. I know, I know, I don't usually <laughs> do that, but 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 I I did watch it in two halves. Um, so I went to bed at like half twelve one night, expecting that I was going to stay up and watch the whole thing. Um, I just wasn't tired yet or whatever. But I went to bed after half an hour of the film because I hadn't laughed once. Mm. Tell a lie, I laughed once, right? Okay. Um, but Not promising me, though for half an hour. No, but by the end of the film, it won me over. I don't know if it, I don't know if it hit the five laugh test. If I'm honest with you, I don't know if I got five laughs out of it. But it was entertaining enough to get me over the line. By no means a brilliant film. It it did very very well financially. And yeah. I'm talking like to the point where they've got they had a second one out, Bad Mums at Christmas or whatever, mm-hmm. and now they're having another one coming out with uh, all of their mums called Bad Mums Mums. So it's. That's, I'm not even lying. That's that's true. It basically follows the story of Mila Kunis's character Amy, and Amy finds out that her husband's cheating on her, um, and she has always lived up to this idealist idea of a mum. You know, she's mm. been per- perfect, and it's causing her mental health, mental health to go through the through the floor. Yeah. So she decides one day that you know what, I am going to be a bad mum, and I'm going to not care anymore, and. As you can tell, that wasn't a great plan. But throughout the throughout the film, she sort of learns that, you know, we're all we're all bad mums, you know, and we're, and we're, and we're sort of all able to. The real know. bad mum was the friends we made along the way. Exactly. So you know, the whole thing. Uh, let me just say this, right? The film is a comedy in the style of a Will Ferrell, sort of Seth Rogeny type. Improvisation. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, well, this is the, it's the writers of, of the Hangover who made this. Well, that's 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 what I was going to build up to, Conrad. So the idea is right. It's that, but it's but it's in a women's world where the the messages are very much around being mothers, around giving mothers their due. A lot of a lot of um, just random mentionings of problems mothers have, and yeah. it really feels like someone who wanted to do a TED talk wrote a film instead, right? <laughs> 
that's that's what it feels like to me. Having said that, I'm very much for the rights of mothers. You know, my, my wife is a fantastic mother and she works very hard and all this sort of thing, right? Having said that, it was very on the nose. It was very yeah. on the nose. And, and I expected, when I looked up after watching the film, I was expecting female writers and directors. Mm. So when I found out that these were two men who had done something like The Hangover, who had written and directed this mom propaganda piece yeah uh i was like what's going on here like what's like this what's going on like there's not even a mother on the right in the writers you know like, yeah it, it sounds like i mean i my, my partner does actually quite like this movie but it sounded like it was trying to do a kind of bridesmaids thing with like a, a kind of female empowerment gross out comedy or or, or kind of bridesmaids um, does it way better yeah uh, well i think bridesmaids was was i think at least partially written by Kristen vig um so yeah. I think not that you know you, you don't have to be a, like a woman to write like women well in comedy, but it definitely doesn't hurt to actually have a female voice on the writing team when you're trying to do that. Yeah, exactly. And um, like to be honest with you, it's just a style of it as well. Like it's just the, the improvisational. Like there was literally in my this has really becoming out of date. This type of comedy for me, like th- th- there was literally a scene where they're listing types of mums. Which which is fine, right? But they're like they're like uh, you know fat moms, skinny moms, and they're listing them all. It went on for over forty five seconds, <laughs> and it was literally it was so obvious that it was like they're just letting the actors go, yeah. And and like they kept cutting to different takes of them doing the different things or the different. Impl- and it's like I can imagine in the editing studio, the editing thing, and they're like, we've got over forty five seconds in here. Keep yeah. it in, it's gold, you know. It, that has been. I mean, I, I like I have to. I'll put. A- I'll raise my hand and say I found this scene funny when I first saw it, but I placed the blame for that squarely at the feet of the, the incredibly editors. poorly aged uh, do you know how I know you're gay scene from 40 year old virgin like that that I feel like was the moment where they were like this is all gold yes. let's stick it all in yeah, and I, yeah. I you know when I was 15 or whatever like I did find that funny and obviously it has aged incredibly poorly now and, and that's not something that we should really be laughing about anymore but I feel like that was the moment where a generation of writers and editors was like, we don't need to put jokes in here. Just let funny people be funny and yeah. we can cut it together in the editing room. And it so rarely works. Yeah, like exactly. And to be honest with you, the editors are at fold a bit here as well, or mostly for me, because there's even moments between when they're saying the things where they'll mm. sort of come in to the next one a second too early and they're sort of sitting there and they're like, Mom's like this, mom's like this, you know, and it, it's it's just very strangely edited. I will yeah. say, Christina Applegate plays a fantastic uh, head of this, the the uh, parents committee or whatever you call it in America. Yeah. I don't know what the, but uh, but basically she plays the head like the head parent of this like committee in school, and she has to organize the bond sales and everything. And she's like the the real bad guy, like she's a real piece of work. This woman, and she's okay. just. You can just tell Christina Applegate is having so much fun in this role. You know, she's she's basically the, the antagonist of this film, and it's just uh, absolutely fantastic. It's, it's always uh, good to see Christina Applegate doing having fun in something because I, I I like her. She's a good actress. Yeah, no, no, she's, she she was brilliant in this film. Uh, I will say about her. Um, having said that, overall, like it was all right. As I say, it entertained me enough to get through. The comedy that they were going for wasn't striking with me all the time. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it was. Let me be honest. The first, the only laugh that I had the, in the first half of the viewing uh, was Chris Catherine Hahn, who is who is hilarious. Yeah. Catherine Catherine Hahn, uh, when they were going in, like their version of going mad was to go into a shopping center, like a, like a like a 
uh, what do you call it? Like a Tesco or a like a, sh- a food shopping center. And they yeah. started and they started like uh, you know just like chugging cereal and chugging milk and turning like a whole thing of milk into a white Russian. You know. Anyway, they're just walking through. The, the thing that got me to laugh out loud was when they were walking through uh, the, one of the aisles. Catherine Hahn just stops gets like a janitor who's literally like 80 years old and just turns around and just starts kissing him like starts <laughs> going to town on him yeah and i just thought that was that just got me that part got me like to be honest yeah no she she's good at um being a very like sexually aggressive female as we learned in Step Brothers. um <laughs> yeah. and it sounds like she's reprising that role here yeah she yes yeah, she very much is yeah and I, I, I thought it was good yeah okay cool well one to one to look out for i have i have heard relatively good things about that to be honest um well really I, I wouldn't give it a glowing recommendation in any respect i yeah. it, entertain, it entertained me enough to watch watch it through oh i will yeah. say before we go i know i'll be very very quick about 20 about 30 minutes in whenever mila kunis has broken bad so to speak uh, and she's like a bad mom now yeah. she's gonna go she's gonna go out to, to look for a fella go out on the pool Oh, yeah. And they and they decide that they're gonna they have to make her look sexy, right? Okay. And and like Mila, Mila Kunis needs help in that department. Yeah. So <laughs> so the whole film so far, she's been really made up, you know, full makeup. She's yeah. in really like really fitted like suits, you know. And I'm just like this. If you if you're gonna do a transformation scene, you've got to at least put glasses on her. That's what films have taught us. Yeah. You've got you to take at least the glasses put... off. You let the <laughs> yeah. hair down. This is how yeah. it works, guys. Yeah. But there, there wasn't like it, I was like. What? Like what? Anyway, that's one of my. I, I don't know where I stand on that. It's a trope that I have some time for. Like the clearly attractive woman who goes through the most minor of makeup. It's always a woman as well who goes through the most minor of makeovers and and, and then comes out in a in a sparkly dress and everyone's like whoa. And it's, yeah. it's it. In most of the time, it's no transformation whatsoever. It's like yes, they are clearly an attractive person. Like why is anyone surprised by this? Um, in this case, in this case, it, in this case it was literally no transformation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will say, I will say this last thing, last thing. Then we'll move on to your next one. I would have loved to see more Jada Pickett Smith. Jada Pickett Smith was, I think she had like four lines. I would have yeah. loved to see more. Yeah. I anyway. the only thing I remember Jada Pinkett Smith from is the beginning of Scream Two. Like I couldn't, I couldn't name you another film. You not seen the, seen the Matrix Two? Uh, oh, I have seen the Matrix Two. She's the captain of the other. Either. She's the captain of the other ship. So the Nebuchadnezzar oh, okay. is the main ship. She's the captain of the other one. Oh, okay. I might, maybe I've just scrubbed her from my memory because that film wasn't wasn't great. Um, it was okay. It, it was that's something for another episode um yeah. right okay so i i suspect you've got some serious films coming <clears throat> yeah so my next one i'm gonna talk about a film that i was quite surprised by actually i thought it was going to be uh a kind of farcical comedy and end up being a bit more serious than i anticipated and actually something that i really enjoyed and that's 2019's jojo rabbit uh, oh, by jo- unbelievable film so, i saw it in the i saw it in the cinema three times so I I went into this with pretty low expectations to be honest because I had heard really? the general disc yeah so the general discourse I had heard around this was that it wasn't great that it 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 was a bit slow and it didn't really know what kind of movie it wanted to be and to a certain extent I do understand that because I think this movie was mismarketed I think I was I went into it expecting it to be like a kind of Mel Brooks farcical comedy like a Blazing Saddles and mm-hmm. it's really more of a kind of coming of age drama with some funny yeah. bits in it but. As a as a coming of age drama, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, 
I, I love the way it was shot. There's lots of these kind of like wide angle shots of characters doing ridiculous things, which were really reminiscent of uh, Robert Yeoman's uh, work on Wes Anderson movies. Like that, they, they kind of allow the funny thing to happen in wide because it's a lot funnier uh, than, mm-hmm. than, than than like cutting between it. Um, and that, it, it, so it really reminded me of stuff like Rushmore and Moonrise Kingdom, which, which compounded yeah. that kind of coming of age theme uh, of the main character's journey from being a Nazi to not being a Nazi. Um, it's always the best I, transition. It is. It's a great, like, as far as character arcs go, that's a good one. Um, yeah. and, and funnily enough, I don't know if you'd heard this, but by the sounds of things, maybe you hadn't heard this criticism uh, when you went into it, but a big criticism I'd heard of this movie before I saw it was that the movie is too sympathetic towards its Nazi characters. And I don't I know. Hadn't, no, I hadn't heard that at all. Yeah, I, 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 for some, maybe it was just running in different, different movie critical circles or whatever but i'd heard that quite a lot and that's what i was expecting and i don't really agree with that at all i think sam rockwell plays like a really interesting character he's sort of a military man who at the beginning is already very clearly uh he 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 doesn't care about the party ideology ideology and he has a clear redemptive arc as well Mm -hmm. and every other nazi character in this movie is a subject of ridicule um you've got like rebel wilson doing rebel wilson stuff which to be fair did did make me laugh a few times. Stephen Merchant doing a, a pretty good uh, Gestapo uh, performance, which um, Heil Hitler, Heil Hitler. Yeah, that that joke <laughs> became like was one of those things that was like funny at first, then it stopped being funny, and then it started being funny yeah, again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the end of it. That's like, so good. Third time they get to, so for those of you who haven't seen it, there are five <laughs> Gestapo officers that come to investigate JoJo's house and they uh, when when uh, they walk in each one of them says how hitler and jojo needs to say how hitler back to them and then they do the joke again when sam rockwell's character walks in and then again when his uh assistant slash lover uh walks in and then a fourth time when the jewish girl uh who is pretending to be jojo's sister uh walks into the room and it's I couldn't believe they did it four times or three times. I can't actually remember how many times they did it, but I couldn't believe they did it as many as they did, but it became funny again. Um, But yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really touching. The ending left a lump in my throat. Mm -hmm. I I think the... I don't think they should have marketed it. I I, I do agree with you there. It is more of a mix. Uh, I didn't hear anything negative about it before going to see it Mm. um, at all. I wouldn't even say the things you said were negative, so I suppose they were, but I honestly... I am a huge Tucker Waititi fan. Yeah, I, and, I think and, he, he's great. And I knew going into it that I was going to love it. You know, it's one of those things that I knew I was going to love it. Um, so no, I didn't. I didn't think. Think. I will say. I. I think that um, Thomason McKenzie, who plays uh, the Jewish girl, she is. I thought she was fantastic in this. And yeah. and I've I'd seen her in a film that I wasn't too hot on, to be honest with you, which was Leave No Trace, um, which I was know. a film. It was a film with her and Ben Foster about about uh, them going. It's, it was a it was sort of a very it was the whole thing was a metaphor for mental health, but it was about them going and living in the wild and eventually trying to acclimatize back to nature, but yeah. uh, back sorry back to society. But um, which I thought it was okay. But anyway, she, but in Jojo Rabbit, she was absolutely fantastic in this, mm. um, and I just wanted to point her out. Also, the little fella who plays Jojo, Roman Griffin Davis. He, I honestly, I said the email like, come on. He's got to be getting some sort of Oscar something here because he does he a does... lot of the heavy lifting in this movie. Who, he's, well, he's I, the main I'm character. He's, I'm assuming he's like ten at the, at when this yeah. was made. And really he, young. Really, he young. gets a, a lot of a lot of the dramatic, uh, the, the heavy dramatic stuff rests on his shoulders, and I think he does a really good job with it. 
and there's there's a moment which will not spoil because it is the, probably the most heart wrenching moment of the whole film. Mm. There is a moment where his acting has to be perfect mm. and it is he's able to shift perspectives or shift emotions so yeah. perfectly straight away and, I think and it's that's... sorry carry on no i was just gonna say and he just sells that moment so well yeah and, and i think that that was the moment actually for me again i won't say what it is but that was the moment for me where i was like oh okay th- this is really going dark in what it's depicting mm. here like obviously you, you you're making a a, a movie about the persecution of the Jews in, I don't actually know if they ever say what town it is, but a, but a, a, a German town uh, during, during the, um, during the Nazi years um, and, and in the midst of world war two. Mm-hmm. And it's, that sounds like it's going to be fairly dark, but I feel like the trailers made this out to be something that was going to be like, Oh, we're just going to laugh at the Nazis. And that'll be, that'll be what this is about, but it does really go to some dark places. And I was surprised yeah. by it. But as you say, the, the fact it goes to those places and asks him to carry the the burden of of um, of conveying the weight that 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 has to hit, or, or, like or that that um, event inflicts upon his character mm-hmm. is a real testimony to his acting ability. So I, I expect to see big things from him in the future. Yeah, and I hope so because he's just great. Um, yeah. Okay, so my next one. Um is i'm glad that he, i'm glad he heard like judge rabbit by the way because that's, yeah. that's uh, my favorite probably i really wasn't favorite. expecting to really wasn't expecting like, one of my favorite it. films from that year i think yeah yeah I was, I, I was really really pleasantly surprised by that okay awesome so my first one i'm gonna go for a double bill all right but i'm gonna go one and then you have one and then i'll go the other one right but okay i i, I watched these two films back to back because once i finished the first one i was like right i need more of that in my life right so the first <laughs> You know, and I, I'm, a, I'm, a glut, I'm a glutton for punishment is basically, you'll find out why. Terminator Genesis and Terminator, the other one that they made. Like, no, like no, uh, no, the goofy movie, no, uh, no, uh, it's, <laughs> uh, so the first one is uh, 2013's Short Term 12, um, okay. which is an independent um, uh, film create, uh, made, written and directed by Destin Daniel Cretton. Um, he's not that much of a cretin. I like this fella. Uh, <laughs> basically, right? Uh, it's it's a film which speaks a lot to me because it's about it's about people who who work in work with underprivileged youth. Okay, mm. and it's very much one of those low budget um, independent style films, which is like just a character study. And it's just like, well, in this one actually ends ends up being a, a multiple character study, but it's in the because it, it's a, such a great ensemble cast in it. But it's it's made for less than one million million dollars, and basically it's an independent film that focuses on Grace, who's played by Brie Larson, uh, and she works with underprivileged children. Uh, Grace is clearly very competent at her job, and all these all these children that she works with, they come from troubled homes. They've been. It's almost like. It's kind of like an orphanage, but it's a bit more than the general orphanage depiction in film. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's more of what you would imagine an orphanage being these days. You know what I mean? It's more of like, there's people there to help you. There's like, you know, mental health support. There's, you know, basically just really helping these kids out. Um, and Grace is clearly very competent in her job. And it, she's an, at the start of the film, she's an image of uh, like compassion and empathy. Um, but throughout the story, we come to learn her backstory, which I'm not going to flesh out here for you, but she come to learn her backstory, which it manages not only to give you more respect for the way that she deals with the kids, but it also helps us understand where her deep understanding of the kids' needs comes from. Um, that's all I'll say 
there's probably quite a bit in that that, that you could you could take from it. But yeah. basically, she she's she's a troubled person in herself, and um and she's she's she always puts the children first is what I love about her. And it's basically a character study of her with this great ensemble cast around her. Um, there's a fantastic performance by an actor. Uh, called Lakeith Stanfield, and I'm not sure if Lakeith Stanfield is a rapper in real life. I'm not. I'm not sure. But, but in this film, he he's a, he plays he plays a young young man who's 17, about to leave the home, and um, he, he he basically isn't liking the idea of leaving. He's come to learn this is his way of life. Yeah. Um, and you can imagine if you've lived in these homes for a lot of your adolescence, whenever you then go are 18, and you have to go out into the real world. Um, and sort of have those shackles taken off you. It can be very daunting. Mm. And um, basically, he writes a few. Um, there's, a, there's a very, very impactful, powerful scene where he writes a rap and sings a rap to one of the uh, staff members about his time and how he feels about leaving and about his family and about his mother. And it's so impactful and it's so amazing that I just was like, okay, this is a great film. Even just from that one scene, you know, yeah. um, he, he's, he's amazing. Lakeith Stanfield. I feel like he's an actor who is kind of flying under the radar a bit uh, at the mm -hmm. moment, but, but um, have you seen sorry to bother you? Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I haven't, but I, I've just realized that he's in uh, get out. Yeah. He is in get out. Yeah. He's yeah. the guy who gets abducted right at the beginning of get out. Um, yeah. And then comes back later in a slightly different role, let's say. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, sorry to bother you is what if you um you would actually i think you very much like that movie and lakeith stanfield is the lead in it uh and he is fantastic in that so uh, hearing that he's in this uh like makes me very excited to go and see this actually yeah and this 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 was actually well this is actually it's an interesting story because this this actually started out um as as a short film by the same director, right? And then as ha what happens a lot is when they get a short film uh, and they make the short film, they're able to expand on that idea and write it into a feature film. Then, they're, then they can use that short film to get funding. Yeah. So his first ever, Lakeith Stanfield's first ever acting role was in the short film in 2008, short term 12. Then he was in oh. another short and then his first actual acting role in a full-on feature was this film. So this is this basically is a guy that this director used in a short film was like, yeah, this guy's great, and and then brought him with him to the big leagues, basically. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's actually it's fantastic. But also, uh, you know, the same the same director directed uh, Just Mercy, which was out a couple of years ago. Yeah, Just Mercy is one of those movies that I've heard nothing but good things about, and I really want to really want yep. to see. And I, I I didn't realize that this was the same director, but again, that makes me very excited to go and see this because i've heard really good things about just mercy yeah just mercy's i really like it as well um yeah but uh, i will say as well there's a this i, I said that this, this is a serious tone but there is a lot of, of those serious elements of the film are uh, like sort of weighted very very well with comedic comedic points so like there's rami malek is in this film and um he plays a great he, he gives a great measured performance as like a naive but entertaining character called Nate and he's like a, he's he's a university student who's taken a year out and he wants to go and work at the home to volunteer with underprivileged kids but to give you an idea of the comedy that's in the in the film he's very naive there's two bits moments that are really funny to me which I'm going to point out but there's plenty of moments with this character that are great the first one is uh is whenever he first comes to the home they have him in front of all the, all the youth and they say this is Nate uh, Nate, why don't you tell the kids like you know something about yourself? And he's like, "Hi, my name's Nate. Uh, I'm. Uh, I've always wanted to work with underprivileged kids." He says that to them, you know, <laughs> and 
<laughs> and then like uh the character um what do you call it uh yeah lakeith stanfield just goes just just like what do you mean underprivileged kids there's a whole thing there so that's part of the, the sort of awkward comedy of it there's okay. another moment there's another moment where there's a kid gets hit while they're playing uh game of baseball gets hit and then like you know beaten or whatever so then they're sort of calming him down and uh, the female member of staff goes are you okay and nate rami malik's character goes yeah i'm fine i just didn't expect them to be hitting each other and it's like no i'm not talking to you i'm not talking to you i'm talking to him uh so there's that sort of comedy to it um brie larson is absolutely fantastic in it brie larson is amazing and i didn't mention too much about her here um because i had only ever seen her in just mercy she's in just mercy but i'd also seen her in captain marvel and obviously that's a very different role than this but Have you not I seen did... her room. <clears throat> we'll get back to that. Okay. So uh, that's uh, why I I didn't want to mention too much of her here because you've, we've just given a bit of a spoiler what my next one is. Yeah. Because uh, I'll be talking a lot about her there. But basically, this film is just a patient, sensitive drama. It shows equal respect to all of its characters, uh, and it's an, it's it's a great ensemble um, mm. from very young children to eighteen year old to adults as well. Um, I really, really recommend it. It's, it's. You have to know what you put, you get signed in for. It is very play-like, I will say, because it's, a, it's a very low-budget, independent film. Do you know what I mean by that? It's not. It's, there's not going to be a car chase in it, but it's, it's. Uh, <laughs> but it's, but it's really good. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'll definitely check that out. Uh, that's, um, yeah, that, that 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 cast is absolutely stacked, and that director is someone I've heard nothing but good things about. So that sounds awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to coming back to to room in a second as well because i have i i very much like that movie um okay i'm I'm gonna i'll I'll quickly fly through how many more have you got two two more okay cool right i'll I'll do one of mine then we'll do one of yours and so forth um so i'll i'll do one that i was a bit mixed on uh first Uh, that is um so i'm i'm quite a big fan of um a japanese director called takashi miike um who has been working for decades now um he did he's famous for doing very violent stuff so he did itchy the killer i think he did the audition in the 90s as well which is one of his that i've never seen but in the last 10 years he's done three uh chambara movies which is like kind of uh, japanese samurai cinema um he did uh thir- what well, and, and this is the first of the ones he did so this is um, the remake of harakiri called harakiri death of a samurai as a remake of a 1962 movie which i haven't actually seen um I really like the other two that he did in the 2010s. So that's uh, 13 Assassins and Blade of the Immortal. They have a lot. They're very tropey, but they're, they're normally beautifully presented and the stories are pretty good. And the, he's very good at finding leading actors to mm-hmm. uh, to, 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 to front his films. Um, I think this 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 one sits somewhere between uh, 13 Assassins and Blade of the Immortal in quality. It is, um, it is good. But it, it dips a lot in the middle, so it, it starts as as a lot of um, Takashi Miike. What, what was the name of this one? It's Harakiri, Death of a Samurai from twenty eleven. Oh, yeah, yeah. um, so this it's this has got some as a lot of um, uh, Takashi Miike films do uh, some very violent scenes in it. So the bit where a guy essentially a a person it's all about a, a character who comes and performs what's called a suicide bluff to a lord, where they come and say, "I want to commit." Uh, ritual uh, suicide in your um in, in your um courtyard uh, expecting the lord to be like no don't do this i'll give you some money and they go away and it's basically a way for ronin to to make some money mm-hmm. um and uh the the lord calls the bluff of this young man and he's forced to disembowel himself with what turns out to be a wooden sword because uh he's sold 
his metal swords to pay for stuff that we will find out about and then another person um comes and asks to do the same thing and uh it turns out these two people knew each other and it's this story about revealing what this this first character who killed himself uh what drove him to do this it's it's a good movie it's beautifully presented i think it did start losing me a bit in the middle chapter where it's explaining the backstory of these characters i think the framing device of knowing one of these characters has died should really give everything that you see in the middle act some poignancy but the pacing's a bit off and i didn't really buy the characterization of the of the the, the character who dies which meant that it, it does just drag a bit um, in the middle. But um, there's a there's a, a lovely, a, a, like a really, really nicely shot final fight scene um, when we come back to the present. It has all the tropes of Chambara. So you've got this uh, sort of snow f- gently falling down um, on, on this guy's uh, dark kimono as he gets ready to to fight a bunch of guys and... Um, and and lots of... Actually, it's not that bloody, to be honest, the final fight scene, but it's... It's it's not bad. I would say Blade of the Immortal is better, but Harakiri: Death of a Samurai is is pretty good. I need to go and watch the original though, because apparently the original is is an absolute classic of samurai cinema, which I do very much enjoy. Yeah, so I talked I think last week about when we were talking about Django. Yeah. I do in, I do intend to go back and watch a lot of samurai, and the fact like you know, I'm I'd be interested to watch some old samurai as well as some new samurai in the way that mm. I like to sort of mix and match between old western and new western. I, I I'm interested to see the differences and the similarities, um, but it's something that I'm not very in you know in on at all at the minute. But I very much am looking like basically you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three. That's basically what, what we're looking at here. Yeah, I mean that's there are samurai in that movie one hundred percent. But I mean you can't you really can't go wrong. I know I've banged on about it a lot on this, but you really can't go wrong with the Kirikurasara. Like Yojimbo, mm-hmm. um, Rashomon isn't really Chambara, but it, it, that Rashomon is a great movie anyway. But Yojimbo, Sanjuro, um, Throne of Bloods is, and uh, the the good thing about Kurosawa as well is a lot of his movies are just Shakespeare adaptations. So uh, Throne of Blood is just Macbeth, Ran is just King Lear. Um, so he he basically takes these. Um, T- takes these well well trodden tales mm-hmm. and and dresses them up with the the sort of chambara trappings of of, of Sanam, Sar- samurai cinema um mm-hmm. and and his are amazing and takashi miike's stuff is it, it, it is derivative to a certain extent there's i i feel like in much in the same way that westerns um do what westerns kind of are very referential as well the chambara has its set of parameters and what it what it will talk about and what what it will look like and it doesn't often stray from that and mm-hmm. a, possibly even less actually i don't want to paint myself as an expert of it but if you look at westerns you have kind of three very distinct phases of westerns or maybe maybe a little bit more than that but you've got like the sort of early john ford stuff which is all like out on the range everything's beautiful and technicolor and it's not that yeah. dark even if people are dying it's all kind of it's it's presented as quite hopeful and quite adventurous and then you mm-hmm. get into the spaghetti westerns of the the 60s and 70s where it starts getting very bloody and very action focused and then you go 
too kind of unforgiven in like the early 90s where it becomes almost this kind of post-western deconstruction of the western yeah. tropes you know like unforgiven is essentially what would have happened to clint eastwood's the man with no name in the dollars trilogy if he grew up to be a man in his 60s or 70s you know what, what kind of broken individual would he be and i don't get the impression that shambara ever really had that i could be completely wrong and i'd be fascinated to know from anyone who knows better than i do um whether chambara did have those kind of those kind of changing sensibilities in the genre um mm-hmm. but but um but certainly there are a lot of similarities between between the two genres so if you like westerns you probably will like samurai movies yeah but it also might be that down to the actual historical time of the west and the samurai like the the, the west came to an end because of industrialization and because of like cars and because you know whereas and then eventual plane you know it it was a real like whereas samurai took place a lot earlier on like maybe there wasn't that natural third state of film to be made you know what i mean yeah i, I think there's 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 probably some truth to that as well like there wasn't really the the way i think the, the way that samurai lived is kind of still treated with some reverence because there isn't that there there isn't that fodder to deconstruct you know there are they aren't just rolling around shooting lots of people in in a, in a way where i guess some of those char- some of the characters are but I, I feel like the way cowboys were presented in like the, the the 30s through to the the 60s there's a lot of hard drinking and hard fighting yeah. that should really have more more ramifications for those characters and outside stuff like true grit you're not really seeing it whereas samurai there's less of that it's more there's more like kind of a reverence for the 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 sort of quiet nobility of the samurai that's always just consistent throughout the genre yeah awesome okay i need to check out some samurai maybe i'll try and watch a samurai I'll, I'll, next week i'll show you well i mean yeah but like well, when when we get together i will i'll, I'll show you yojimbo because yojimbo is awesome. easy to watch and it's awesome and you see a man getting his hand cut off which is uh what star was referencing in that first movie Okay, yeah, can't wait, can't wait. Okay, so, all right, so my next one is Room, which, which nice. you know, you'll not be surprised to know. So basically, after I watched Shorten 12, I was like, yeah, this Brie Larson woman, she's pretty yeah. good. Like, you she's know, all she's, right, yeah. She, she's all right. I was like, right, I got, I'm going to watch it, because... I think I think maybe Emo was having a nap and I was just letting her sleep on until when you know whenever you know yeah. that's just that's what I do. But basically, um, I was like, right, I've just watched Short Term Twelve, quite deep, quite emotional. I'm in the right headspace for it. Let's just put it on. Yeah. And I I did what I do quite a lot um, in my life. Maybe I'm talking 10, 15 times a year. Mm. I watch a film on my own. I love it so much that I convinced Ema to watch it again with me on the same day. I watched Room twice <laughs> in one day. That's that's great. Um, I this uh, For anyone who doesn't know, it was it, it, caused, it did cause quite a stir when it came out back in 2015. Um, Brie Larson actually won an Oscar for her role in it. Yeah. I'll, I'll read you the logline, uh, because it's probably the best way to sum up, and it's a way of me saying, this is not spoilers, because this is a logline that is put on IMDb. It's what the trailer showed. This is basically what it is, right? Held captive for seven years in an, in, in an enclosed space, a woman and her young son finally gain their freedom, allowing the boy to experience the outside world for the first time. Mm-hmm. So that is the logline. That's how this film is set up. Um, obviously, I'm not going to tell you the details of how it happens. If you've seen the trailer, you probably know. But basically, it's a really interesting, you know, intimate film where a lot of it is set in the one room and with 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 Brie Larson and a young boy who I think was eight when he did it. Yeah, but he J- was Jacob a... Tremblay is 
unbelievable in this movie. Uh, one of the best, one of the best performances from a child actor I think I've ever seen in this movie. And the way he sells his ignorance and his naivety, like he, he's been told stories when he was like two or three by his mom that he now remembers as a five-year-old, but he's getting to the age where he's a bit too old to believe these things. You know, he's never known anything else, but like he, he has a whole world built up and he narrates the film in this really sort of haunting way for me because it's he's talking about you know sp- out, outside the room there's space and then through and through skylight and one of the one of the absolute brilliant it's really strange to say this in a film like this but it's world building one of the really mm. interesting world building elements to it is the fact that they mentioned they talk about bed they talk about room they talk yeah. about rug they don't talk about the rug or a rug it's always just rug, room. Like because fixed nouns because that's his only point of reference for this. There's only things. one of the thing. There's only yeah. one of the thing. And and I, I, I the first time I watched it, it was a bit I was I was thinking to myself, but why is the mum saying that as well? Why is she saying room? And I re- and I realized you know, I'm an idiot to even question that. There's things my kid has been saying since he was two or since he was one and a half that I say to him now. Like if 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 the young boy called Jack was saying these things like room and rug, the mother would naturally pick that up as well and say that yeah. back to him. It's hundred percent realistic. A, it's, a, it's a shared language as a coping mechanism for the the situation they find themselves in as well. Like it's and I think the the this movie could have been just the first part. The, the, yeah. the pre-escape part. I think that's the thing that I like. I love most about Room is this is an hour and fifty-eight minutes long, and what they do in that hour and fifty-eight minutes. I like. I've I've talked about movies on this podcast in the in the recent weeks that have been longer than this and have failed spectacularly to achieve even thirty percent of what this movie achieves. Like you essentially have a very a, like the 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 mother and her, and her son living in this room in, in captivity, and almost like this kind of tense. Uh, thriller climax to that as they sort of mm-hmm. try and figure out a way to escape. From really heart wrenching. I'm going to say whenever they did it, I cried. Like I cried oh, both yeah. like, both, it's, it's, both times. Even knowing you know that that the, they will eventually get out because that's yeah. that's you know very clear the in the setup in of the, the film. In the, yeah, in the setup for the film, it, it's still very tense. The the actual mm-hmm. escape attempt. But then you have this whole other like hour of movie, which is just them dealing with trying to re reacclimatize to the world around them, and you have you have elements of the plot that have no right to be there and be as good as they are. Like this idea of you know her parents' marriage has fallen apart. Yeah. Um. They they William H Macy is great. Yeah. yeah. William H Macy gets very doesn't actually get that much to do in terms of lines on the page, but the, this this kind of projected. Uh, distaste for for jacob tremblay's character because he's a child of uh of the rape captain. rape essentially yeah, like a, he's a child of rape um and i can't remember his name now but the the stepfather character plays this brilliantly like understated sensitive character it's just a the room is a phenomenal movie i, I can't like i cannot recommend this mm-hmm. movie i love and i'm so i'm so pleased that you liked it Oh, I absolutely loved it. I, I I recommend it to my mom. My mom watched it like straight away. I always knew I was going to like it, but I just didn't know whether it would be a yeah, I like what they did. It would be it's like a six or seven out of ten, or it's I love this film nine out of ten. Like that's that's what it is to me. This I will rewatch this film multiple times in my life. Yeah. It is it is going to go in the pocket of will make you cry every time. It's yeah. it deals with such dark matter. Um, through the eyes of a five-year-old child, mm. um, and it makes your heart just go out to him. 
so and, and then there's a moment i'm not going to say anything because it is quite late in the film but there's a moment where where a, a, a news like a journalist or interviewer asks brie larson's character a question that really drives at an issue which i i it, it's it puts it, it basically just made me want to punch that now it was a, it was a female journalist so i would obviously yeah. i wouldn't but it made me physically want to just rebel against this woman mm. on behalf of brie larson's character because it's and it's just so well done like there's the emotion there's every emotion possible in this film um and it's just it's just unbelievable but jacob trembley delivers a performance that you could just say is nothing short of unbelievable in the moment that he escapes them he manages to get away uh, my heart was in my mouth both times i watched it i was crying both times i watched it he's just i don't i don't know what's I, I read after it actually that they they filmed their this is unusual for a film but they filmed it in chronological order pretty much okay. because they they wanted Jacob to be able to follow the character arc of his character um, and and sort of grow as he as he sort of comes out of the room and is able to move on with his life and he, they wanted him to be able to grow into the performance and it works so well and they 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 didn't put a foot wrong in this film I absolutely love it mm. absolutely love it yeah it, it's a wonderful movie it, re- it really is if you haven't seen it. I, I I don't think there's anyone that I would hesitate to recommend this movie to. Um, it is a shame with Jacob Tremblay. I, I, like, I talk about Jacob Tremblay now, like he's a veteran actor when he's probably like 13 now. Like he's sort of 13, been, 14 around, now, yeah. been around for five years. But it's, unfortunately, since this, I don't think he's made very many good movies. Uh, I haven't seen Good Boys or Doctor Sleep. But he was in The Predator, which was a shit show of a movie. Um, I, yeah. I, well, apparently Wonder is quite good. But it's, again, it's 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 sort of, if you can take, I think Wonder is going to be even more than this, just emotions for emotion's sake, mm. um, where he plays a deformed young boy. But um, I saw Good Boys, which is, if anyone doesn't know, it's basically like a super bad type comedy yeah. written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg about boys who are like 12 years old. It's all right. It's all right. It's you know, it's 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 just harking back to those two thousand eight to two thousand twelve comedies that didn't do it. It didn't do it. Didn't do it nearly as well. But it's yeah. had a few laughs because there's little twelve year old kids saying really obscene things. You know. Yeah, that that seems like the main selling point of that movie is look at these kids talking about stuff they shouldn't be talking about because they're too young for it. Um, having but- said that, Jacob Tremblay didn't do himself a bad bad turn by having me see Room after that. So he went way up in my estimation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is if he does nothing else of note for the rest of his career, he's got like a great performance under his belt in in Room when he's yeah, as you say, like eight or however old. He like was. I to- I talk about the kid from Jojo Rabbit should have got something to do with like some awards or something. How Jacob Tremblay didn't get nominated for an Oscar blows my mind. Anna Paquin got an Oscar when she was that young. Like she got an Oscar when she was like eight or something. Yeah. Jacob Tremblay should have got some. He was unbelievable in this film. Yeah, he's he is fantastic in the in this movie. It's it's such a it's such a natural performance from him um, that yeah he, he he deserved to to win something. But but yeah, I'm I'm so glad you liked it because Room is Room easily my favorite movie of 2015. I think and um, yeah, it's still still a phenomenal film. Yeah, it's great. All right, what's your last one? Um, cool. Right, last one. So a slight tonal shift uh, for for this last one for me. Um, this is a remake. I hadn't seen it before, and uh, much like Jojo Rabbit, I, I I had avoided watching this because I really like the originals, or original, I should say, um, and uh, was reticent to watch a remake of it. And um, that is 2013's Evil Dead uh, by Fed Alvarez. 
Um, so yeah, I, I love Evil Dead One and Two and Army of Darkness. I think they're really seminal horror movies. And to be honest, like this is this is actually a really good example of how to do a remake. I, I was really really impressed with it. it. It seems unnecessary at first, but it's kind of a reimagining. It uh, it, it has enough little nods to the original. Um, it, it's got like those kind of it has a couple of moments that apes the Sam Raimi, like kind of swooping uh, follow camera style that, that's the used in so many different places, but not enough uh, or, or not too many to feel like that's all it's doing. It ha- very much has its own aesthetic. Um, and there are some really gnarly gore effects in this. Like if you're not a fan of gore, do not watch this movie because like the originals are quite gory but they're gory in like the kind of schlocky way that i quite like where there's just like fountains of blood spraying everywhere and it's just totally ridiculous and this there there's one scene where a character has their hand pinned under a car and they just pull their hand pull their arm off and leave their hand behind and they show it in close-up and it's like holy shit um but I, you know, but I it takes a lot to get me to audibly gasp when I'm watching something gory. But this movie Jeez. did it plenty of times. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's it's uh, it's really good fun. Not it's not amazing. Like it's kind of suffers from a problem that a lot of horror movies suffer from, where the casting and the acting is secondary to the spectacle of the violence. Um, but I get that was kind of true of the originals as well. To be fair, like Bruce Campbell carried a lot of um, a lot of the. I don't want to say dramatic weight because it was mainly him just shooting things with shotguns and then saying groovy in those movies. But um, <laughs> but, but he did a lot of the he did a lot of the heavy lifting in those, and there isn't really a character to match that in in this, which is probably one of the areas where they struggle to live up to the originals. But still, well worth seeing if you're in the mood for a gory as fuck horror movie. <laughs> awesome. Um, again, you you know me, horror is not my genre. No, I don't um, think you I, like I, this. I dip my toes in every now and then. I would like this if I watched it with you, or I'd like it if I watched it in a group. You know, I'm probably not going to sit and watch it myself. Um, there, there is a scene where a character is convinced to cut off her own arm with a. Oh, actually, I will say. Okay, so I'm going to say two things before we move on. There's a scene where a character is forced to cut off her own arm with like a, you know, like an electric carver for when you're like carving Sunday dinner. I do know those because I was looking for one like crazy on christmas eve i couldn't find one they yeah I, I i don't own one so i had to do it by hand and it turns out i am bad at carving by hand i wanted uh, to be a real dad you know yeah that's the dad job as far as i'm yeah. concerned my dad would never <laughs> let anyone else touch the electric carver like if you, if you went near it he'd be like step back son he wouldn't say yeah. in a northern accent <laughs> well he's missing a trick yeah um but yeah so she's convinced to cut her arm off by like a, another character who's infected with a demon and then as soon as she does it the other character just starts laughing it's like that is that is brutal and yeah, yeah. there's there's a character in this who kind of incites the so basically evil dead is about a bunch of people go to a cabin in the woods find a suspicious book some idiot reads from reads the demonic passages from the book it wakes up demons in the woods and all hell breaks loose and the character who incites that I think wins the award for most hilariously fucked up character in a horror movie I've ever seen. He he is in no less than three scenes where you where it's like oh this character is obviously going to die because of the things that are happening to him and he keeps on surviving and every single time it's like how is this character not dead yet like you have been so badly injured at this point um, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why I don't think it necessarily be your movie because yeah, the, the, this one character admittedly they kind of deserve it for waking up the demons in the woods but 
I, I did feel very sorry for them by the end of it for the horrific violence they are subjected to. But it's not comic violence like in Austin Powers. Yes, my leg is broken. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Will it's Ferrell. beginning to smell like almonds. That is yeah. very, very bad. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Not, it's not quite as comedic as that. Although I was, I was cackling around about the second, the second and third time this character got completely fucked up. I was like, it's just not your day, is it? <laughs> is it? <laughs> okay um, awesome well yeah. i'm not gonna say i'm gonna check it out um no. maybe <laughs> maybe one day if we're together and it's halloween and we're gonna watch a horror film we'll pop it on maybe yeah well i mean i'd probably if i had a choice i'd show you the original because evil dead 2 is still a great movie but uh but if the horror fans out there evil dead remake is not bad okay good stuff <laughs> right okay my last one then at breakneck speed um is 2010's morning glory do you know anything about this film? I don't think I do. Right, so basically this is a film uh, by a director called, I think it's pronounced Roger Michel. Um, uh, okay. Basically the, the director of Notting Hill, uh, a film called Changing Lanes, Hyde Park on Hudson, which is the uh, Bill Murray as Roosevelt film. Okay. Um, basically this film is about Rachel McAdams stars in it and she plays uh, a woman who works for a TV station. And uh, she gets fired from her job, and then she gets brought on to be a producer at a dying morning show called Daybreak. Okay. Um, and the the host of Daybreak is uh, the, the, these two hosts are Diane Keaton and another fella. On her first day, she fires the other fella, and then she hires Harrison Ford. Uh, and this Harrison, is so, it's, uh, sorry, just, this is so weird. I have seen a still from this movie in the last two days. For some reason, I literally have seen a, a still of Harrison Ford and Diane Keaton sat next to Rachel McAdams. I was just like, I saw it. And I was like, holy shit, that's weird that this is the movie you've watched. And I've just seen, like, I, I saw it this must, image. It, it must have been a th- the, the thumbnail on Amazon Prime, maybe. Maybe it was. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, that's fine. But uh, basically, um, Harrison Ford in this film is great. Uh, <laughs> very unlike Harrison Ford, uh, to be honest with you. He... Does, does he play a curmudgeon of, of some description? Very much so. <laughs> Who could have possibly predicted that? Yeah. He plays a character called Mike Pomeroy, who's like a respected journalist and news okay. anchor who's won every single award there's ever been out there, is really about serious news, political news. Okay. Um, and uh, however, he's fallen out of favor with the big TV stations. He's not, he's sort of maybe viewed as a bit past it. He's a bit old now. And he, but he's still, he's still on contract with the TV station. And Rachel McAdams decides, her character decides, right, I'm going to get him on uh, because she looks up to him and she's sort of grown up watching him on the news. And basically, uh, she gets him on because she sort of, she swindles him in a way because he, he's, he's, on a, he's on a contract for the next like seven or eight years. And she she finds in his contract saying because he has no show because they don't want to have nothing for him. She finds in his contract that if he gets an official offer uh, from from the from the network to be on a news a news show, uh, and if he doesn't accept it, then his contract will be void. So he'll lose like six million dollars. Uh, she's got him. So she gets him, and he and he has to come and do it. But he refuses. Do... Happy about that? Oh, it's so it's so funny because he he has to he has to do like they're asking him to do like you know 
like cooking with the new chef that comes on, asking him to do stories about you know someone's colonoscopy or whatever, and he's just like, I'm not doing that. And he and he <laughs> and he and he, keep, and he keeps bringing stories like you know like uh you know uh, war in Yemen, and they're, and they're like, no, we're not putting that on the new on the on the morning show. Um, basically, you can imagine what it's going to be though. It's going to he's going to slowly sort of come come to terms with being on this show. He's going to see see it for what it is. Um, we talked about a little bit last week about. Uh, relationships between very young women and old men not going well not going well in my mind it doesn't go that way don't worry it's not that sort of it's not that sort of thing uh but it's 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 all i need to say guys you know me this writer also wrote with cameron crow we bought a zoo that's all i can say so uh (laughs) (laughs) that's a seal of approval right there rubber stamp that yeah, it's one of those films that's like, it's a comedy, drama, romance, family film. It doesn't really have a genre. I don't know. It's one of those ones where it's, you can't really nail it down to one genre. It's kind of like I maybe would call a feel-good film, you yeah. know? Um, and it's, it. Jeff Goldblum's in it. Like, Jeff Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> bef- like, it's back in 2010 it came out. So it was Jeff Goldblum slightly before Hollywood let let him let him spread his wings fully, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, you know Jeff Goldblum now, he just, like, he's literally man-spreading man all over the place. Yeah, yeah the, the meme of Jeff Goldblum is just, like, has overtaken his actual celebrity to the point <laughs> yeah. where he's allowed to do anything. Yeah, actually, to be funny, this is a funny story. Ema and I, when we were in Los Angeles, uh, we were in LAX waiting for our plane, and I saw the back of a man's head, right? I saw his shoes. He looked like he was wearing crocodile skin shoes, right? Yeah. Really thin man, gray hair, saw from the back he was wearing big glasses. I swear to God, I turned to Emer and I said, that's Jeff Goldblum. It was the back, it was his back of his head, right? He turns around, it was him. And he was, and he talked to a fan, right? A fan went over to him and said, hi, Jeff. And it wanted to talk to him. He talked to them for an hour and a half, right? <laughs> Other... Other, other fans were coming over. Other fans were coming over and being like, can I get an autograph? He'd sign the autograph and then go back to talking to the same fan. And he was sitting down with them and all and talking to them. And I was just, and he, just he was just like doing doing his whole thing, you know? And I was just like, geez, that's Jeff Goldblum. Probably having a conversation about David Cronenberg or something yeah. like that. Like this this, <laughs> yeah. this fan had just whispered the right, the secret code to Jeff Goldblum <laughs> to get him to have a conversation with him for an hour and a half. Yeah, so that like Jeff Goldblum's a character, but this this film he very much has the shackles on. He's not he, okay. This is this is not post Thor Jeff Goldblum. Like yeah. this is this that is, was uh, the moment I feel like the Thor. Yeah. Um, oh, what was that movie called? Uh, the the one with all the synth wave in it. Um, the Taika Waititi one. I can't remember the name of it, but um, that I feel like that was the moment the world realized that Jeff Goldblum. Oh, Ragnarok. Had, yeah, Ragnarok. That was the one. Yeah. Um, that that was the moment where the internet realized that Jeff Goldblum was was one of them. <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah but overall you know it is what it is i will say last last final thought there's not much to say about it it's a feel good film it's not never going to be a critical huge success it's not it's not going to be a waste of time it's going to be like a sunday afternoon feel good film to watch with the family but i will say before we go someone like the writer of this film clearly thought it was going to be something that it's not because it's not like an out and out rude comedy it's like it's got funny moments but it's very much contained you know it's called Morning Glory for one. Yeah, that has nothing to do with anything except for the fact that they have a morning show. That's it. <laughs> That's right? like someone arrived at that title and then worked backwards from it to get the film. And here's another thing: the TV station that they work at again. I don't know why they did this. Is this called IBS? Excellent, great like, joke. Like 
it's like it's it's like the person like they named those two things they named the film named ibs and they were like right we're gonna write an 18s comedy here and then like they quickly went away from that and it's like why did you keep ibs as the name of the channel you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. anyway that's that film that's my films for the week all right that well that sounds like good fun good clean yeah. fun for mm-hmm. like, you know about a you know a, a girl working hard in the city you know achieving her dreams despite well actually well, vast majority of my films Actually, all of them, with the exception of Valerion, but you can even argue with that because of the character of Loreline, they were all f- female-centric films. Uh, yeah. in, and, you know, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for yeah, it. Yeah, th- I mean, this is what the people tune in for, Anthony. Like, you're the progressive mm. who watches movies with, with you know, strong female characters in them and, and progressive storylines, and I watch movies where people get beaten to death with hammers. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, that's, that's, our, that's, our do- that's our dynamic. You know? Yeah, that is the dynamic. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm the one who's on a government watch list for watching horrible movies and you're the one who watches good films like room although i did watch eight and a half actually i did my i did my due diligence with artistic movies this week i was like you know what i've watched eight and a half i'm gonna give myself evil dead as a little treat Uh, anyway i I think that's gonna do it for us this week here on the best movie podcast ever and really as is always the case when we've discussed all the movies that we've seen uh it leaves us with only one simple question to answer and that is anthony what is your favorite movie i'm tempted to go valerian valerian but i have to go room room yeah okay it's a, it's a great shout brie larson represented uh my favorite movie is evil dead 2 no hammers in that one but uh, you someone does replace their hand with a chainsaw um <laughs> tune in to next week's show which is also going to be a movie diary um that'll be out on thursday after this obviously mm-hmm. uh thank you to nancy wyatt and jared Ascarit for the use of our theme song you can find links to their stuff down in the section below and yeah thank you for listening share the show with your friends like comment subscribe culture cave on youtube best movie po- best movie podcast ever on podcasting apps And we will see you, same time, same place, next week. And cut.